Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today, we check in with equity research analysts Brendan Cochran and Andrew Hall as they discuss the spring consumer story, their thoughts on inflation, and what investors can expect heading into the summer. Brendan and Andrew share highlights from the recent Consumer Price Index announcement. They say food prices have been affected by the above-normal analyzed rate of inflation, something consumers can expect to notice on their grocery bills. Though prices have been increasing steadily across all categories for the past 18 months or so, commodity categories such as dairy and meat have been hit hard by labor shortages and rising production costs. Brendan and Andrew also provide an overview of the ongoing growth of telecom, citing the close of the Rogers-Shaw merger after a two-year governmental review as a sign that the industry is embarking on a new era of competition. And turning to the auto sector, Brendan and Andrew explain that as new car production continues to increase, the prices of used cars will drop, positively affecting inflation. The big story of 2023, they say, is the normalization of the supply chain, allowing production to return back to pre-COVID levels. This podcast was recorded on May 16, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Great to see you both. You look super in studio there. How are you? Good, thanks. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you. Yeah, great to have you both joining us here today. Everyone else joining us here, send in your questions um, for Andrew and for Brendan. So, I mean, hot off the press, we've got the CPI. So let's take a look and we strip out the headline, which looks pretty high because of gasoline. What do you think of the inflation story, Brenda? We'll begin with you. Sure. So it seems like most of the surprise today was on shelter costs. Um, so when, and you know, to be clear, the Bank of Canada has paused interest rates for you know a, a couple sessions in a row now. So it's not too surprising that shelter costs are still seeing catch up, in particular on the mortgage rate side of things. So I think for me, the big takeaway from today's CPI print is if you look at CPI. Uh, X Energy, uh, yes, the headline was high, but X Energy, X Food, you know, we actually still did see a slight tick down on a year-over-year basis in April versus March. So overall, yeah, the headline's a little bit high, but there's nothing here that that tells me the Bank of Canada needs to jump out of their pause stance right now. It seems like it, it, it's still okay to be paused. Okay, really interesting. Yeah, there there is sort of this continued trend. Andrew, can you confirm that actually on the food side of things? You're going to be talking about the grocers in a minute. So I think we can say a very slight sigh of relief, maybe for the Canadian consumer here, with food inflation month over month decelerating, but and on a year-over-year basis, also kind of a lower rate than it had been in recent months. But we have to take that into context of that the year-to-date inflation is still running at an annualized rate well above normal not quite at 2022 levels, 
um, but still something that consumers are going to notice as they shop on the grocery shelves. Yeah, that's so interesting. Okay. I mean, and, and we'll get into this discussion of sort of what's inflation and what is permanent growth. We'll, we'll have that a little bit later on. I wonder if, Brendan, we can begin with a sector that has actually had a number of headlines around it. There are questions about growth, consolidation, new players, and that, of course, is telecom. Um, tell us sort of broadly the new trends in telecom, which would be basically new technology and new heights with which uh, various industries can connect. Um, what do you see there for investors? Yeah, when was the last time telecom kicked off a show? Oh, it's exciting again. So yeah, let's get into it. Um, so the big, uh, yeah, the big news in the industry is that the Roger Shaw merger officially closed. It, it after a two-year review by the government, finally closed. Um, and alongside that, uh, Quebecor bought the Freedom Mobile business from Shaw. So what this means is we're embarking on a new era of competition. For the first time in, in many years, uh, there will be a new bundled competitor out west. So Rogers always had wireless nationally, but they never had wireline or cable out west. Now they have that so they can bundle, compete against, against other co uh, companies out there. And uh, Freedom Mobile is now being owned by, by Quebecor, who you know, has promised to lower prices to take market share um, and invest in 5G to bring 5G to everyone quickly. So... Yeah, I mean, in a regulated oligopoly, um, competition, not the best for what investors want to hear. For consumers, this is great. Um, we've already seen the first freedom offer come out at $39 a month for 20 gigs of data. That's a great price. That's the kind of things that we would have seen normally on Black Friday. Um, so they're making a little bit of a splash to start. And we've seen the, the big three respond by matching price as well. Um, but yeah, I, I suspect this is not the end, this is only the very beginning of, of the new competitive landscape that we're going to see. So expect much more soon. For investors, though? Yeah. So, so for investors, yeah. So again, it's a regulated oligopoly. So what this does, increasing competition, it's we're all going to get the same service. Our phones are still going to work. Maybe the difference is that instead of spending $75 a month, we're spending $65. For example, Rogers, uh, they, they launched new bundle pricing, $65 a month standalone, $55 with a bundle. So prices are changing. Um, and when you're looking at an industry where it's a very capital intensive industry, um, protecting the ROIC is based on the monthly price that you charge for services to customers. So more competition, lower monthly price, doesn't do a good thing for ROIC. Uh, so that's something we're monitoring. And to be clear, there will be winners and losers. So I sympathize with all the advisors out there who are helping guiding their clients through this. It'll be a very complicated next few years in telecom. Um, I, my advice to you, I think I figured it out. I've guided RPMs accordingly. So you can invest in Fidelity funds and and, and I think I, I will, we'll get you through this, but I can, I can assure you a lot of fireworks are coming in the industry. Okay, well, that is that's something to follow up on and take a look at. Um, Andrew, tell us a little bit on the grocers front. We we know the story through the pandemic. We know certainly the the fury really of of consumers on this front. There there's so little room for people to change their grocery budget, and um, and they've had to, and and people have maybe not gotten used to it. But um, where do we go from here? Would you say on the grocer front? I think, like you said, it's something that consumers deal with. Every week, every day, it's you notice it. And so it's one of the most noticeable, tangible pieces of inflation because you buy 70 to 80% of the same stuff every week and you notice which weeks it goes up. And it's been going up 
on a broad basis for close to 18 months now or so, uh, and that's been across categories. I think what you're seeing now is a lot of price increases put through on more of the commodity categories. Dairy had a big regulated increase last year. Meat had a lot of pricing increases necessary because of labor shortages, which was driving up the cost of production. Those are starting to fall off a little bit. Uh, we're seeing some green shoots there. Um, but what you're also seeing on the CPG center store, the package shelf stable items that people like to buy, uh, a lot of those companies with their Q1 reporting are all raising or at least maintaining their organic growth outlook because they're noticing consumers aren't pulling back on volume as much as maybe they feared. And that means they can continue to push on price. Of course, a lot of their margins are down. This isn't excessive, but they're trying to recoup those margins maybe more than they thought they could um, because consumers are still spending. And that is potentially a stickier piece that's going to carry inflation um, probably at a lower rate, but still elevated relative to where it would have been prior to 2021. So food prices are not coming down, far as you can tell. There's no evidence on a broad basis. Uh, there hasn't been a monthly decline or anything to, to point to on that front. Let's dig into the, the wage story there a little bit, because uh, as you well know, and anyone you know, picking up the newspaper today, there are, are strikes, there are discussions of which industries this is having, uh, which is happening in. And some of them are in industries like airlines where the consumer appears to be very, very strong. On the wage front for sort of grocers across even restaurants, has the wage story stabilized a bit? So what I would say is if you rewind the tape to the middle of 2021, companies had their hair on fire because demand surged back quicker than expected during the pandemic, uh, setting aside grocers, which were more stable, but, but for broad businesses. And of course, that pulls on what would otherwise be a pool of workers for grocery. And um, then we kind of moved through early 2022 was just about finding workers. It was about getting overtime down. And I think exiting 2022, for the most part, businesses are now saying they're close to fully staffed. They feel much more comfortable. The productivity of those new workers, because you had to bring in and recruit a lot of new people, might not be where they want it to be. But from a staffing perspective, they're feeling better. And consequently, what you're seeing is fewer uh, signing hiring bonuses, you know, job switching. The competition comes down. But like you noted, from a collective bargaining standpoint, every union is looking at headline inflation over the past two years and looking for cost of living adjustments to help protect their workers uh, in line with that. And that's obviously a challenge for um, companies who are looking at three or five year agreements, wanting to make sure they don't price ahead of inflation and get themselves into a really tough situation. So I think the bottom line is um, it's going to be a tough fight. You're going to see more of these headlines. Um, but the story on labor has gotten better over the last six to 12 months versus worse. So this is another big trend. I'll, I'll ask both of you, begin with you, Brendan. Uh, this discussion, I think you've joined Phil in Connects, I don't know, every few months over the last while. And there was sort of this broad theme. I don't know if you'd call it secular, but this trade down. And this is connected to whether there is or isn't a recession and how strong the consumer is or isn't. But have you broadly seen this sort of trade down to either dollar stores, the consumer being more conscious. It doesn't look like it, but where do you see some evidence to flesh out that picture for us? Sure. Yeah. So the trade down dynamic has been alive and well. We spoke about it a year ago. We spoke about it in December and, and it's still absolutely still a factor today. Um, we can see it in a few areas. So the first I'd say is in the middle income domain, um, there's this concept of good, better and best. 
um, where, where you, you have a certain product, like for example, the, a barbecue or, or you know, whatever. Um, good, better, best, and they're, they're aligned on pricing accordingly. Um, we've absolutely seen middle income trade down from better um, all the way to good. Um, so entry level uh, products are becoming a lot more important uh, for any retailer out there. Um, going down further to the, the first or the second quintile, the lower income consumer, um, there's been continued trade down there as well. Um, one of the key things in my industry that I watch is on the dollar store side. Um, it, you typically only see trade down to dollar store groceries when things have gotten really bad. Um, and a number I can throw out there is um, right now in Canada, uh, dollar stores are seeing about 29% of their sales come from groceries. Usually it's what, 20. What are dollar store groceries? So when I think of dollar yeah. store groceries, I think of the chips. I think uh, lots of juices. Um, it's not sort of what we're thinking of on the fresh side of things, really. There's no, yeah, in Canada, there's no fresh in dollar store. In, in the U.S., they do have some fresh. In Canada, there's no, there's none. So it's all center aisle goods. So we're talking cereals, we're talking can, uh, canned foods. Um, and as your, your trusted fidelity analyst, I've done the due diligence. I've bought a lot and sampled the food. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's not great. There's a reason, um, yeah, there's a reason why it's, it's at that price point. So people don't want to trade down from a no frills to, you know, to, to a dollar store. Um, they do so when they have to. Um, and, and as I mentioned, yeah, so we're, we're tracking 29% of sales versus normally 24 to 25% of a dollar store is groceries. Um, so, and that's still, that's still, that hasn't dipped at all. No signs of slowing. Um, so yeah, so that low income trade down dynamic is very strong still. Okay. And I just want to say that I love that you started out with an example of barbecues uh, two days before the long weekend in Canada. I think that's fabulous. Um, Andrew, tell us about how you're looking at this dynamic, where you're seeing it. So I think one of the best anecdotes I have is from a grocery executive who said they're seeing more Range Rovers and Mercedes in their parking lots, their discount banners than they've ever seen. So again, Brendan mentioned no frills. What you're seeing is people are shopping at more stores to shop the flyer, to find the best deals, and they're shopping in the stores that have lower prices. And so that's creating pressure on conventional grocers who are trying to combat that by increasing promotion of value-sized items and doing what they can to make themselves look more discount light. Um, but it's one of the biggest trends and what's obviously a stable industry when a point of share shift is considered material, um, that's the kind of fight, that's the battleground, that's where it lives. And you're certainly seeing uh, a well above normal trend towards those discount banners um, because people are looking for 10% plus savings wherever they can. And then within the stores, they're shopping more private label and less national brands, again, because there's that price gap. And so you're seeing a lot of the grocers talk about growing their organic growth in private label up to twice as fast as it would be in their overall comparable product categories. That's so fascinating. Okay, so let's get, let's get into this. So are consumers nearing their breaking points in terms of spending? So we've been talking kind of around this a little bit. It sounds like a trade down is not a breaking point, but um, you answer that question. Consumers seem to be racking up debt uh, with no slowing in spending. Um, tell us about those dynamics. Maybe Brendan will put that to you first. Sure, yeah. So. The answer is yes. Um, consumers are using their credit cards a lot more. But one of the things that we, we really need to touch on is this, this concept of the COVID stimulus buffer. All of these, these savings dollars that consumers had, had built up. 
Um, when we last, yes, exactly, the cushion. Um, when we last spoke in December, um, the, the trajectory was telling us that this war chest of COVID savings was going to last the consumer through to mid-23 this summer. Um, that didn't happen. They ended up drawing down the savings much slower than anyone thought. Um, and it goes back to the wage growth that we've talked about, you know, minimum, minimum wages going up, that kind of thing. It, it, really, it really buffers the, the low income who really relies on that, those savings. Um, so the current projections are saying that year end 23, maybe even Q124 is now the expectation for when consumers will deplete their, their cushion, that COVID cushion. Um, and in the meantime, credit cards, yes, they're tapping into credit cards, um, but we're seeing you know, delinquency rates are not at elevated levels. Um, yes, they're ticking up, but there's nothing concerning yet. So there's still viewed to be some room on the credit cards as well. Um, so you have the, the cash savings, you have more room on credit cards, um, and you have a consumer that we just spoke about trade down, but they're still spending. Uh, the, the consumer is not broken. Yes, they're being more smart about how they, how they spend, but they're still spending. And we can see this across any income quintile. Everyone is still spending. Um, so yeah, so the point is, there's still a lot of room for the consumer here. The consumer's not broken. You just got to be careful about your exposures and making sure that you've captured trade down and whatnot in your portfolio. Really, really interesting. Um, Andrew, I wonder if we can go back just, just for a second to, to the grocer and, you know, maybe this goes out more broadly in terms of, a. Uh, a trend. You walk me through this. This is one of your ideas. There's sort of the psychological versus the real. This is as as rates fall and ultimately how that comes into the discount retailer, discount brand story itself. I mean, we don't have interest rates falling, uh, but certainly some market participants think that could happen soon. What what ultimately would you look for? That's a great point, which is we're talking with the real financial burden on consumers looking at delinquency rates, consumer spending, credit card balances, how much pent up savings they have. But on top of that, there's also a bit of a psychological uh, concern or, or, or thing to think about, which is how often are we talking about Unfidelity Connects? How often is it the lead story on the evening news that uh, food inflation is high? And to what extent um, is this headline effect uh, sort of doubling down in terms of the real financial impact? And so the question there would be as headline rates fall, and it becomes less of a lead news story, um, does that mean that while consumers obviously from an absolute standpoint are still challenged, maybe there's less of that drive um, to make that shift? I think that's an open question. I think when you pose it to the grocers themselves, they don't have a firm answer because it, it's soft, um, but it's something to watch. And like you said, what, what are consumers looking for in terms of positive signals? Certainly inflation coming down um, because that will mean more flexibility on rates. And of course, as we know, the can Canadian economy is quite a rate sensitive economy. Uh, given the importance of housing. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, do you have anything, you were talking about the, the quintiles there, uh, Brendan, is there anything else you wanted to add to that? Yeah, so in, uh, again, when, when we were last on Fidelity Connects in December, um, the bottom three quintiles, the first, second, the third, it was very obvious that trade down had already occurred. They had already been adjusting their spending, but the fourth and the fifth quintile were no change whatsoever, still super strong spending. Um, Fifth quintile, fifth quintile would be luxury, yeah. 
Um, so what we've seen more recently is um, we've been talking about low income wage growth still being strong, um, unemployment still very low, um, an interesting dynamic that's starting to appear and we're talking about in the last couple weeks, we've only just started to see it. So it, this is a, a fairly new insight is at the highest income quintiles, the fourth and fifth, we've seen spending start to slow a little bit. Um, and the nature for the, the explanation of this is when you think about where the layoffs have been today that we all hear about in the media, it's in tech. And tech, those are your quintessential fourth and fifth in, uh, income quintile consumers. So there has been a little bit of slowing. Um, and to be clear, it's slowing off a very high comp. So the spending is still at very elevated levels. Um, but there is this view that you know tech, which tends to represent anywhere around 5 to 10% of the labor force, and we've seen layoffs about 5 to 10% of the tech force. So in the worst case scenario, 10% of 10% is 1%. This is the order of magnitude that we're talking about at the margin. Um, we are seeing a, a, a little bit of slowdown, a, a little bit of, of wage growth turning negative um, for the first time since COVID. Uh, so this is something we're watching very closely because when we speak to luxury retailers, they're telling us things are great. Um, we're, we're seeing what's happening in China with the China reopening. Um, while the overall China picture is maybe a bit mixed, one thing that's not confusing is the luxury Chinese consumer doing fantastic. So any companies that have exposure to there, we have a couple in Canada, they're doing great as well. Um, so yeah, so overall, I'd say the fourth and the fifth income quintile, the new piece now is maybe it's not as crystal clear that they're doing great. They're still doing great, but now at the margin, there's a new question mark that we have to analyze as analysts. Good, we're gonna leave that to you. We'll ask you about it as soon as you come back. Um, let's talk about autos. And uh, it's a long story. Again, we know sort of the COVID story to an extent, it essentially ground to the halt. Um, and we saw prices go sky high because no one could get um, what they needed, whether it was parts, whether it was the full auto itself finished on the line. Um, where do we stand there on this front? This has normalized, it looks like. It has. Um, so the good news is supply chains are pretty much there. We're still seeing the occasional, believe it or not, there's still the occasional chip-related shutdown in North America, um, which, yeah, it, so, so the, at least this is, this is what they tell us. So <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's something else. But um, so there are the, the occasional supply chain disruption, um, but for the most part, we're like 90% of the way there, let's call it. So what does that mean? Um, what that means is as new car production continues to increase, it means used cars are not going to become as important so everyone knows what happened to used car pricing. And we're, we're clearly at the top of the mountain of used car pricing and we're on the way down now. So as new car production increases, used car pricing is gonna come down and that will have a positive impact on inflation. Um, but secondly, the other element that, that we have to think through is, yes, production will increase. What's gonna happen to price and mix for the auto OEMs? Uh, because they relied heavily over the past few years on selling $80,000 pickup trucks and SUVs that are fully decked out with the best packages because you would buy whatever on whatever's on the lot. So they would put the highest margin stuff on the lot. Um, and as supply chains are normalizing and consumers are seeing what's happening with the price of used cars, that they're on the roller coaster on the way down. I mean, there's a, there's a very fair question of why do I need to still buy a decked out $80,000 pickup truck today? Why don't I wait a few months and see what happens to pricing? So this is going to be the big story of 2023, I think, is supply chain normalizing means production has the right to increase now, and it should return back on a path towards pre-COVID levels. 
the, the, the speed of which it returns to pre-COVID levels is going to be dependent on the auto OEM strategy and whether they're willing to lower mix and start selling those $30,000 sedans that they haven't sold in three years, or if they're going to try and double down and defend the $80,000 pickup trucks and SUVs at high margins. So we'll see how it's going to play out. Um, but the, the point is right now we're in the low 15 million in terms of U.S. auto production. Pre-COVID was 17 million. We should be on a, a path back over some medium-term horizon. I feel like I want to ask you about EVs there, but I'm just going to hold off because I want to get into um, a couple of pieces of the utility story. I mean, those that have felt the need to be very defensive in these markets have stuck with things like the utilities. Um, Andrew, this is for you, I think, right? We're going to, can you tell us a little bit more about where this sector goes from here? It seems expensive. So I think um, what you need to consider with utilities, obviously, is that they are one of the most closely related to interest rates in the direction of interest rates. And then, like you mentioned, there's sort of a fear gauge in the market. You know, how high is that fear gauge? That means utilities might garner more of a premium than they otherwise would. And of course, when the fear gauge is low, like we saw in late 2021, uh, the valuations versus the market for utilities were very low, despite interest rates being low, because people were looking for higher growth opportunities. And so I think you've seen a bit of that um, revert uh, in, in early 2023. And 2022 was a challenging year because we went from zero to four on interest rates. Um, but in 2023, we've seen a bit of a reversal. Of course, we haven't, we're not the experts on the banking stuff, but as you know, that, that's certainly in the back picture here. And that's clouded a little bit of the rate hike path and maybe made people more inclined to think there'll be rate cuts sooner. And then that's you know, aided the utilities in terms of pushing their valuations up, uh, not to peak levels. We've certainly seen them higher before, but in a range uh, that's more consistent with concern around the broader market and economic slowdown. Okay, great. Um when we look at sort of the the defensive premium or, you know, well, the equity um, risk premium, I mean, do you, do you still see that draw at this point in the markets for, for utilities? I think it's, it's certainly there. I think that there is a lower premium versus maybe, you know, you might expect uh, if there was no fear about an impending recession or a slowdown in the economy. So it's certainly there. Obviously, the challenging part is always figuring out what's next for the economy and how much wider that premium can get. Like I said, we're certainly not at peak levels, um, but we're we're above average, no doubt. So, um, Brendan, we saw what the oil price, the rising oil price, did to the CPI and the headline side of things. Let's talk a little bit about what oil prices are meaning to companies right now. There's been a stabilization. It's not the same story as it was a year ago. That said, um, how do you see this impacting everything from freight to companies that sell the oil itself. Um, what, do you, what does the oil price do at this moment for consumers? Yeah, sure. So it, so it certainly helps out on consumer sentiment, seeing lower gas prices at the pump. Although, to be clear, uh, we've seen prices take back a little bit in, in, in recent months. So it's not as good as it was a few months ago. But I think the most important read-through on oil for the consumer discretionary sector is it's basically a barometer for the overall economy. Um, and when we see oil prices lower, it's because the overall economy is slowing to some extent. And where that matters most for, for my companies, yes, lower transportation costs on the energy side, you know, lower gasoline, lower diesel, that's great. But the key for a lot of my companies is most of the stuff still comes from China. We're talking about dollar stores, we're talking about retailers, we're talking about apparel. It all comes from China. And ocean freight rates are now one-tenth they were at 17,000 per container. They're now at 1,700 per container. 
this was a huge cost to, to all of my companies uh, during the peak supply chain issues. So we're seeing this unwind. And so the question that we have for all of our companies is, how are you going to how are you going to defend this margin tailwind? Are you going to give it back in terms of discounts to stimulate pricing to get consumers to keep buying clothes and whatnot? Um, and for now, we're hearing that a lot of companies are planning to keep the freight tailwind. That consumer demand is still strong, but if consumer demand starts to weaken, this is a buffer that they're going to use uh, to to give us some better discounts. In you know, as we get to Black Friday later this year, Christmas later this year, um, yeah, you can already see it right now in the toy industry. I cover toys. Um, toys have been on a tremendous discounting spree. Uh, even right now, you can still go into Walmart or wherever and you can still find a heavily discounted toy aisle because inventory built up too much. Um, now it's time to clear it out, get us, get the shelves clean for, for, um, for Christmas, 2023, um, and focus on restoring margins, defending margins, keeping all these tailwinds. If it doesn't come through, if the consumer doesn't come through, we're going to see more discounting. That's just the nature of, of how this is going to work. But Companies are still optimistic, to be clear. The message we're getting from companies is optimism, um, and it's up to us to, to, to uh, analyze that and figure out if, if we agree with it or not. Uh, so, A final word, um, Andrew, anything just to say broadly about demand destruction, or you might even just say like demand changes, sort of the goods versus services discussion um, from where you're sitting and the companies that you're particularly looking at, which are more goods focused on the grocery side, do you see changes? So I think one of the most important changes, uh, particularly in 2022, and we'll see how it uh, continues in 2023, has been what people spent way too much on during COVID. They spent a lot less on in 2022, and retailers didn't always match that well with their inventories. So we're about a year removed from when a lot of the large, particularly U.S. retailers with more general merchandise, so we're less about you know, grocery, which has much higher inventory turns, but general merchandise, which some other grocers in Canada have uh, exposure to. Um, like Brendan mentioned, barbecue, we're the start of barbecue season. Everyone bought their new barbecue in 2021 to celebrate at home. Everyone added a new pool to their home if they could afford it. Uh, and we went way over on those categories. And so those are the ones that are being hit. And of course, they're bigger ticket items too. And so when you see a softening, it's generally also more pro-cyclical. And so we had a strong economy, a strong consumer spending less on those because of the, the, the previous spending. Now the question is, as we turn to more stress, um, could those categories see another hit lower? Whereas, you know, things like grocery and food, of course, you have to spend uh, a certain amount because you still have to eat. Uh, and those categories are, are, you know, holding in much better. Okay, it's great to speak with both of you. Andrew and Brendan, thank you for joining us, giving us a picture of the consumer across sectors and across this country. All the best. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.